Okay, we're starting chapter 13 in Kings 1. We saw in chapter 12 uh, Yeruvam's uh, sins. Yeruvam, the king of the ten tribes, the king of Israel. We saw his major sins causing the rest of his kingdom to sin. And now in chapter 13, Hashem will send a prophet to rebuke Yeruvam and Nevat for his sins. And it opens up like this, chapter 13, verse 1. And behold, Hine, a man of God came from Judea, from the land of Judea. So when you start a sentence with the when a verse starts like that way, that means that what's happening now is unexpected, that he's coming on the scene suddenly, which was what the man of God does. He's going to come and surprise Yeruvah Benavat. So it says, So he comes from Judea. Now, that's interesting that Hashem sends a prophet from Judea Probably because if he looks around in the area of Bethel and Samaria, where Yeruvam reigns, he's not going to find too many kosher prophets. So he has to send a prophet from Judea. And this prophet comes with the word of God to Bethel. And Yeruvam is standing there on the altar offering sacrifices. So Yeruvam here is in Bethel. He's having this ceremony. Uh, in this temple that he's erected in Bethel, which is an alter- alternative to the temple in Jerusalem, which he has banned. And he's sitting, standing there offering sacrifices as, as if he's some kind of priest. And so everything he's doing here is wrong. And he has this inauguration, and suddenly he's surprised by an Ishalukim. By the way, Rashi says in this verse first that the Ishalukim, his name is Ido. Ido the prophet, even though scripture does not uh, give his name, the sages tell us that the prophet's name is Ido. So it says in verse 2, So the prophet calls to the altar with the word of God, and he says, altar, altar. Now that's kind of interesting because the prophet doesn't even address his words directly to Yeruvam. He's directing his words to the inanimate object, the altar, as if the altar has a better chance of hopping his message, of grasping what he's going to say, then Yerovam does. That's, the, that's how far gone Yerovam is. And he says, Mezbech, Mezbech, alter, alter, Ko'amar Hashem. Thus God says, Hine ben nolad David. A son is born to the house of David, Yoshiahu Shmo. And his name is Yoshiahu. V'zavach alechet abamot And this Yoshiahu is going to slaughter upon you, O altar, the high priests, the priests of the high places, all these false priests, these phony priests of the of the high places are going to be burnt upon you. And human bones will be burnt upon you. So he's speaking to the altar and he's saying that instead of animals that are going to be sacrificed on you, there's going to come a kingdom, Yoshiahu, and he's going to slaughter these priests upon you, these phony priests, and instead of um, bones of animals, it's going to be bones of human beings that are going to be burnt upon your altar. So that's the message, a shocking message that the man of God comes to say. Now what's interesting here is that he says Yoshiahu, he gives the, it's such a, a rare prophecy, so exact, that he's actually giving, who's going to do it? You never see that in the Bible. It's so rare that he has something so precise that this Yoshiahu is going only coming around about 300 years later. He's a king at the end of the book of Kings, a king of Judah, a very righteous king, and he's going to make 
he's going to go on a, on a campaign against all the idol worshipping that was done in Samaria and other places. And the prophet is telling us now that 300 years from now, he's going to slaughter these Kohanim on, this, on the altar and, and burn their bones. And that, as again, is something way, way into the future. And this is how he breaks up Yerovam's party here. He comes in, Yerovam is, is maktiring, is he's offering sacrifice, and the prophet comes and just busts up the party. And another thing that's interesting, there's, uh, it says, he ain't ben nolad lebeit David. A son is born from the house of David. Now, in English, it probably says, a son will be born to the house of David, because it's a future prophecy, but it's so clear to the prophet. For the prophet's point of view, it's happening now. So he says, a son is born to the house of David, as if it's happening in real time, and that's the prophecy. And um, another thing Rashi points out that we want to mention in verse 2, and Rashi says the following, that notice how the Lashon, it says, human bones will be burnt upon you. So Rashi says that he gave kavod to Yerovam. He gave him kavod. Why? Because it really, he's really hinting here that Yerovam's bones are going to be burnt upon the altar by, by Yoshiao the king. He's going to take vengeance against all this idol worship that was taking place. But to show covered for the king, he doesn't put it in his face and say that your bones are going to be burnt on the altar. He says, at smot adam, these bones of man will be burnt on the altar. And that way, you're not um, saying it straight to your Ravan, but he could catch the hint. So it says in verse Gimel, v'natan and the prophet continues, and Hashem is going to give a sign. Now, a lot of times when we see a prophecy that's way down the road in the future, to show that it's indeed going to come to fruition, Hashem will show a sign now to prove that it's going to happen later. We saw this in the beginning of, in the, beginning of the book of Samuel when um, a man of God, also a man of God, his name was Elkanah, at the time he came and he gave a harsh prophecy to the house of Eli, and we, and we told Eli about the devastations that's going to occur to his descendants, which is also will be way down the road. He also gave a sign of something that will happen really, really uh, in, a, in a short amount of time that proves that this prophecy indeed is going to come to fruition. And so here too, the prophet is going to give a mofet, a sign that his prophecy is real. And it says, And here's the mofet. What's going to happen? The sign is that this altar is going to split and the ashes upon it will spill out. And that's quite a sign, that's quite a feat that you're going to have this altar that's made of stone is going to split and the deshen or the ashes which are in the middle of the altar and usually collected and put aside in a clean place the next day, that's what could just spill out of the altar. So that is the, uh, the words of the man of God. And it says in verse 4, And when the king heard the words of the man of God, who called on the altar of Beitel, and Yeruvam extended his hand, he sent his hand out over the altar, and he said, Seize him, catch him. But what happened? When Yeruvam stretched his hand out, it dried up. Asher Shalachalav, that hand that he extended, it just kind of stood there, stiffened up. And he could not bring it back to him. So suddenly, Yerovam is 
like a cripple, he said, seize him, extended his hand, and in the end, he cannot move his hand. It's kind of stuck in a stiff position, unable to move. So, interesting that um, when we saw Yeruvam come onto the scene a few chapters ago, when he uh, raised his hand against Solomon, it said similar words. He raised his hand, Bishlomo, Yarim Yad Bishlomo. There it was legitimate. But here he's doing it against the prophet, and it says, Yado, a similar action. And he wants to arrest the prophet. I mean, for Yerovam's point of view, what this prophet is saying is, hey, you're, you're, you're criticizing me. You're rebuking me. You must be a Navi Sheker. You must be a false prophet because you're saying terrible things about me. And besides that, you just messed up my whole ceremony I was having over here and you just came in and, and you know, blew it up. So he's obviously very upset, but the minute he comes and extends his hand out to arrest the Ishalukim, the man of God, Hashem stri- strikes him with this leprosy and he can't move his hand. Now, Rashi brings down something interesting. He says here that for Hashem's own kavod, a Kodesh Baruch who did not take vengeance on Yerovam, that Yerovam was doing terrible things. For years now, he's been doing all kinds of treachery to Hashem. He's been erecting these golden calves and b- making people not go to Jerusalem and so forth. And for that, Hashem waited. He didn't punish Yerovam. But the minute... Yerovam went against his, Hashem's prophet, went against the tzaddik, this righteous person, then we see immediately Hashem takes action, he steps in and rescues the prophet. And there we see Hashem's humility that for his uncovered, for his own honor, for his own honor, he doesn't step in and he lets the thing pass. He lets Yerovam continue to sin, hoping that Yerovam will do tshuva. And he doesn't immediately step in, but for the tzaddik, for this righteous man, Hashem comes to the rescue. So Yerovam now is kind of stuck there in a state of like a statue with his hand out. And what happens in verse 5? And the altar splits. And the ashes spill from the altar. Exactly the sign that the man of God said would happen. So the sign that he gives this, Mofet, actually happens all at the same time. It's like simultaneous, you know. Yerovam's got his hand out. It's been, he, it's stiffened up. He can't bring it back. It's, it's stiff. And at the same time, while all that's happening, the altar splits and the ashes spill out. So you, you have to imagine what's, what it's like to be an Ishelokim, a man of God, to come in and step up to the plate and criticize Yerovam in the middle of this fancy inauguration of his temple, he just comes in there when all the people are around and, wow, that's not easy to go in and heckle the king, but that's why he's an Ishalokim, man of God, he's got the courage to do it. So it says in verse 6, Vayana Melech, so the king answers, and he says to the man of God, please pray to your God, and pray for me, so that my hand can return to me, so we see here that Yerovam has done a little bit of tshuva. He's acknowledging the, the Ishelokim, the man of God, and saying, please pray to your God that he cure me so I can bring my hand back. Now he says, pray to your God. He doesn't pray to my God. And you can look at that as, a, as Yerovam's um, 
Kfira, that Yeravam is still stubborn and against Hashem because he says, pray to your God, but not necessarily, he, he, he doesn't want to say pray to my God because Yeravam knows that he's betrayed the God of Israel. So it's kind of embarrassing to suddenly say pray to Hashem, pray to my God, when he knows that the prophet is so much closer to God. So he's prayed to your God. And we saw Shaul, the King Saul, said the same thing to Shmuel. After King Saul sinned, uh, he also upon rebukement of the prophet, says, pray to Elokecha, to your God. So it says, what did the man of uh, God do? So he said, the what did he do? Well, and we continue verse 6, and the man of God prayed to God, and, and the hand of Yerovam returned to him as it was at the outset. So everything's okay now. Yerovam's hand is back. And he's been cured. His prayers have been answered. Now, will he do tshuva? Let's, a lot of stuff has happened here. I mean, the, 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 the altar split. His hand dried up. The ashes spilled. Everything, everything just like the prophet said, let's see Yeruvam will do tshuva from this. That's why Hashem sent the prophet, hoping that Yeruvam will do tshuva. So, that, what's, what happens in verse 7? So the king said to the man of God, Boy, Tiabaita, come, come home with me. matat, and let's have a meal. I'll give you some good food, and I'll give you a gift, matana, matat. So Yerovam thinks that he can buy the prophet somehow. What an honor getting invited to the palace of the king. That that seems to be Yerovam's way of saying, you know. Let me schmooze now with you, and maybe everything will be okay. Maybe he wants to get the prophet in his corner and convince him of his uh, that he's he's on the right path. Who knows? But it's not going to work. Yerovam is so full of himself, so full of himself, and so much arrogance that he actually thinks he can get this prophet over to his side, sway him over with a royal meal. So it says in verse eight, and the Ishalukim, the man of God, said to the king. If you give me half your kingdom, I'm not going with you. And I'm not going to eat bread with you. Nor will I drink water in this place. So when you say in this place, at least in Hebrew, it sounds kind of like you're so disgusted with this place. And he is disgusted with this place because why can't the prophet eat and drink there because according to Chazal this area of Beit El which is so full of impurity it has the a, a, a law of Irni Dachat of Irni Dachat is a city of idol worship that has to be burned to the ground we see that in Deuteronomy that a city that is so 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 um, full of uh, uh, idol worship idolatry that there's a mitzvah to burn it down burn the people there and you can't get benefit from anything in there so that's why the prophet says, I'm not going to eat or drink from you, Yerovam. I'm not going to have a meal because this place is a Yernidachat. This place is, you're forbidden to have, to have, uh, to enjoy it. I'm here to give my prophecy and, and get out because I'm not, I'm not here to associate with the residents. I came from the, from the uh, Judea area to give my prophecy and leave, and I'm not staying. So it says in verse 10, 9, Because Hashem has commanded me, 
לא תאכל לחם ולא תשתה מים ולא תשוב בדרך השלכת. That I cannot eat bread nor drink water, nor can I go back on the way that I came. That is, I came one way, I have to leave another way. So all this we get, that we now see, because of Yeruvam's invitation to the man of God, suddenly we revealed some more of his prophecy that Hashem told him that when you go there to uh, Beit El and you rebuke Yeruvam, you just go in, you're out. You, you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't associate with the people there, and you can't even go return on the, way, the same path that you came in. You just have to do your job and leave. So it says, why, why can't he go back the same way he came? So that could also be similar to what we said about King Yoshiahu, that he says a son is born to you, as if it's really happening now. So he says a son is born, even though it's 300 years later. So it could be that this city, this Beit El, it's in such bad state that it has a din, a lord of Irnidachat, a city that has to be burned down. And therefore, from the prophet's point of view, it's already burnt. It's already been devastated, been destroyed. And therefore, he has to go back a different way. Or maybe it's meaning that you, there's no, no, there's no return for Yerovam. There's no return. He's gone so far. He's so far off already that he can't repent. He can't now return. So it says now in verse ten. So exactly that's what he does. The prophet leaves. He leaves uh, Beit El and he goes a different path. Okay, verse eleven. And there was an old prophet, an elderly prophet, who lived in Beitel. And his son came, his son came to him, and he related to him, and he told him about all that been performed in Beitel that day, all the stuff that happened that we just read about, the things he said to the king, and they spoke it, those things to their father. So verse 11, it's kind of a long verse and it's a little redundant because it says, they come, the sons come to tell this elderly prophet what happened. And then it says at the end that they spoke to their father in the plural form, again, they spoke and told the father all that happened. So what's happening is here is we see that obviously what happened in Betel when Yeravam went up there to sacrifice on the altar and the Isha Elohim, the man of God, came to him, that was something that made a huge impression on the people there. When Hashem does such a miracle, he wants to rebuke the Jewish people and rebuke Yeravam. He wants people to see it. So in those days, they didn't have internet and, uh, you know, what's up. So how are you going to get a lot of people to see it? Well, the prophet comes at a time, as we said, when Yerovam is up there with lots of people, with a lot of fanfare. He's got this big te- ceremony going on. And, and we see now that these, these sons of this old prophet saw what happened and they tell their father everything that went down. They tell him about the... The altar splitting and the the ashes spilling. They t- tell him about Yeravam's hand stiffening up, and it says Asher And the things he said to the king, they were obviously also impressed by the fact that the king invited him to dine to dine with him, and the man of God said, "No way, I'm dining in this disgusting place." All that they told to 
Navi Ahad Zaken to this older prophet, their father. Now, who is this Navi Zaken? Who is this elderly prophet that suddenly pops up here in verse 11? Well, according to about 90% of the commentators, he's a false prophet. And we'll see as we go along, he's a false prophet who's going to mislead the real prophet. And right now, this story is going to take a bizarre turn, a very bizarre turn. It's going to be one of the weirder chapters that we're going to see in the Bible as this elderly prophet now is going to approach the real prophet and we're going to have a really interesting episode coming our way. So we'll stop here and pick it up in verse 12.